Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to the Universe Next Door, as we are excited to explore the physical universe and talk about it in relation to the Christian worldview. And also, we like to explore the metaphorical, I'm talking about the mental, the, if you will, philosophical universe. Uh, We're thinking of the universe of worldviews. And a couple weeks ago, as we began our study of world religions and worldviews, and we will also include a study of a few of the major cults. Uh, we're going to be talking about Mormons. We're going to be talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and comparing them with uh, mainstream classic Christian teaching, what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity. We love that phrase. And as we were discussing a few weeks ago and talking about worldviews, uh, we brought out some of these uh, aspects of a worldview, including the alternative term that was coined back around 1800 by the philosopher, uh, from what I've checked out, as far as I can tell, the philosopher Immanuel Kant uh, was among the first to use it, and that's uh, Weltanschauung. You like my pronunciation, Nick? Yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah. I I got a B-plus from a guy who is um, from Germany, and so this this person said, ah, pretty good. Sounds good. Oh, thank you. Weltanschauung. Like, um, Welt is world, Anschauung, has a two U's uh, strung together in the middle of that word. That's pretty weird. Uh, Pretty weird and wonderful. Okay, I'm I'm not maligning the the German language at all. I think it's wonderful. So, but the idea of a worldview is the, the way you perceive reality, your basic beliefs and assumptions about everything important, including uh, normative aspects of the big picture of where we came from, where we're going, the, the view of history, your meta-narrative. That's a great phrase we like to teach in our philosophy courses here at Trinity College in Tampa, Florida. Meta-narrative, the big overarching big story that encompasses all the medium and small-sized stories underneath its canopy. So what is your view of history? What is your view of knowledge? Where does knowledge come from? Where, or to, to get fancy and philosophical, what is your epistemology? Uh, how, what is your basis uh, for your epistemic search for meaning? Or what is your moral, uh, your ethical view of norms and, and evaluating right and wrong? And we could go into your view of uh, the afterlife. What is humanity? Very, very important. Uh, who are we? Were we created are we in the image of God? And what about God himself? Is he prime reality, or is the universe God? What? Could the universe be God? That's what the pantheist says. And there are worldviews, we want to talk about them today, that proclaim that the world around us, everything, is God. So you, according to this worldview out there, are God. 
My partner Nick Shalna would be God. I would be part of that reality. The very physical objects in this room where the, the program is being recorded and everything in this world, everything in this universe would be included under that all-encompassing reality of God. And the phrase that uh, was coined long ago in the Upanishads, the Upanishads are the physical, excuse me, philosophical concluding sections of the great doctrinal treatises of the Hindu religion, the Hindu faith. There are a number of major uh, writings. They're called the Vedas, Veda, V-E-D-A. And the last part of each of the Vedas is, uh, of each of them, is called the Upanishad. That's the philosophical section. And the Upanishads brought out very clearly through the centuries. We're talking about anywhere from 800 B.C. down to maybe 300 B.C. So tracking along about the same time as um, the, the minor prophets all the way down through, yeah, the post-exilic prophets. Uh, so of the Old Testament, if you compare the time frame. So the Vedas were, were being written there in India, in India at the same time, and they were proclaiming at least many of the statements in the, in the Upanishads were proclaiming that the Brahman is the totality of all that is out there, the totality of everything, and you, Atman, your individual soul are like a drop that at death is reabsorbed, ideally that is, into the Brahman. So you, Atman, are that Brahman. That is the famous statement of this view of reality, this pantheistic view. Thou art that. You are God. Nick, do you feel better now? Now, the view of Christianity is rather distinctly different. We are made by God. We are not God. We never will be creator, eternal, self-existent, that is, does not require a creator, thank you very much, God. So... We are maybe manifesting qualities of God, and there is a place in one of the Psalms, and Jesus even quotes that little section in one of the Psalms. I think it's Psalm 82, if I remember. Jesus quotes it in John 10, where it's, God is addressing the judges, and, and he says, you are, you are gods. He's, he's, he's really kind of addressing them in a metaphorical sense. Okay, so little g, not, you know, capital G. And so they are acting as if they were gods, that is, authorities. But we may use that in a metaphor, but we never mean it in a literal sense. But the pantheist believes it in a literal, straightforward sense. And not only the pantheist, the philosopher. So let me shock you while I'm ha- I have your attention on this view of pantheism. Pan means all, theo, or theos, of course, the Greek word for God, that means all is God, pantheism. And so there is a variation on this 
called panentheism. So stick the two letters E-N after the pan. Panentheism is a view developed by some gentlemen around the early 1900s, especially Whitehead and Hartshorn, some philosophers in England, and they had the idea um, that God inhabits the universe much as a soul inhabits a body. So there you have it, God in the totality of all that, that is the universe. It's a variation. It's sometimes affiliated with something called process theology, and that's about as far as I want to get into that uh, variant. But back to pantheism, there was actually a philosopher, uh, Baruch Spinoza, uh, who taught a very elegant, you know, I'm not saying I agree with this at all, but it was a very tightly argued and... Um, he, he tried his best to make the case for the universe as a manifestation of God. Sounds good, right? Sounds like Psalm 19, the universe is um, declaring the glory of God. You know, the, the firmament is making known his greatness. Uh, so far, so good. But Baruch Spinoza, raised in a fairly orthodox synagogue there in the Netherlands, broke from the Jewish faith by denying miracles. And you may say, why would he deny miracles? Because he identified the laws of physics, or you might say even more broadly, he identified all the laws of science, the laws of chemistry, and all the laws of nature with God. So God is the regularity, the mathematically precise and wonderfully regular and discoverable you know, scientifically understandable uh, beauty and regularity of nature. So if God is regular and dependable and solid and never changes, therefore miracles can't happen. Because if miracles are a breaking in and a kind of a suspension of the laws of physics, that means God got suspended. We can't have that. Therefore, since God can't get broken, miracles can't happen. You may say, that's just really strange. And I would agree. Because God is not, as it were, a thing, a network of laws embedded in nature, much as Spinoza viewed it. He is a person who invented the universe. And it exists apart from him, underneath him. It is his toy, if you want to think of it, but much grander and more huge and complex and vast than just a little uh, a toy that we might give to a child. It is his grand um, panoramic machine that has its own vast beauty and qualities embedded in it. And God made the universe in a way that he could step into it and inject new materials, new structures, and new intelligent forms wherever and whenever he wanted to. And that's what we call the interventions of miracle. If God exists, then you cannot bar miracles from happening in nature. That's what Baruch Spinoza never understood.
And by the way, can you guess Nick Shalna, a major physicist of the early 20th century who developed such important theories that he's considered probably the greatest physicist of all time? And he actually had an office at Princeton University that I used to take people and show them his famous office. And he actually loved the idea of Baruch Spinoza. Can you imagine who that great German physicist was? Who's that? Can you imagine? It starts with an E. I. Keep going. Einstein. You got it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, at first I was thinking Stephen Hawking, and then once you kept going earlier into the 1900s, I thought, okay. Einstein, yeah. So, yeah, a little help from your Who's Einstein? Einstein, yeah. Yeah, the great Albert Einstein, okay, who actually emigrated, of course, around- Never heard of him. (laughs) Never heard of him. Yeah, well, now you have. Of course, Albert Einstein, when he was confronted, as he got off the boat, I think, uh, reportedly, I think it was a, a Jewish rabbi came up said, do you believe in God, the God of the name? What, what God do you believe in? And he says, I believe in the God of Spinoza. And, and supposedly there was a, a New York City, a New York Times reporter listening and said, huh? <laughs> so they, that sent people scurrying to their philosophical dictionaries or encyclopedias to look up Baruch Spinoza. So, uh, yeah, so Einstein had a very minimalistic view, if you will, a pantheistic view of God as the God who's manifested in the equations of nature. Enough on that. I just wanted to, in our minutes remaining, just kind of go into very, very briefly uh, this idea of pantheism and point out that there are at least four and possibly even five major world religions that are essentially pantheistic, but more even than that, distinctly atheistic. And you say, wait a minute. Are you saying that there are religions that have no God belief at all? I'm saying exactly that. Well, then how do they qualify as religions? I thought religions are points of view that are based on God belief. Well, then um, I'm sad to have to tell you, but that is not the, the core of a definition of a religion. A religion is a view that orients all of life around basic understandings of man, the world, nature, morality, purpose, and so forth that are ultimate and and can be known and can be lived out. So a religion is a matter of life and, and, and living. It's a matter of doctrine and knowledge. It's a matter of deep feeling as well and, and, and the heart. And so what I would say is that there are in the these um, pantheistic worldviews, or monism, as Jim Sire uh, calls them, uh, his chapter on these worldviews is called A Journey to the East. Journey to the East, because they're almost all located in China or India or those surrounding countries in um, like Burma, or Myanmar, it's called, I believe, uh, Ceylon, uh, Sri Lanka, it's called now. Um, Countries like Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, and onward into Indonesia, and um, all the uh, Southeast Asia countries. Japan has um, a very profoundly uh, fascinating and confusing at times mixture of world religions, 
some of them quite polytheistic in their point of view, which is um, <clears throat> enriching the mix quite distinctly with its own flavor. But what I would say is that the pantheistic view says that we are part of this total encompassing world system and our individuality is not to be treasured. Your individual personality is something to be overcome, either through reincarnation or total extinction. And that is counter to the deepest intuitions. Who you are, who God made you, your unique persona, your unique personality that God made you to be for him forever. Uh, there, there is a, 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 a uniqueness, there's a specialness about each individual person that is so powerful and wonderful and tremendous. And that is what God is inviting us to really uh, tune into and to be focused on uh, as we understand from a Christian point of view what these um, monisms are all about. Now, let me mention the five that are atheistic really quickly. One of them uh, you may not have heard about, and that is Jainism. Okay, Jainism is a breaking off about five centuries before Christ uh, through a gentleman by, by the name of Mahavira. It's a breaking off from early Hinduism, and it really was trying to focus on the simple truth that we should not murder, we should not kill. And he focused on that one moral rule to the exclusion of virtually everything else. And by the way, murder means don't even kill bugs. So that's why they're very careful not to step on ants or anything. Um, and so the Mahavira concept um, of, of living is very, very pacifistic. But they do not worship any god whatsoever. They are totally non-theistic. They have no god belief whatsoever. I can go into Jainism in a little bit more detail, but they do revere the teachings of Mahavira. Uh, we also have early Buddhism, the Buddhism of Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, and that is sometimes described either as Theravada, that's with a T-H, T-H-E-R-A, Theravada, or sometimes it's described as Hinayana. Um, I'm, I'm throwing out terms. Hina, H starts with an H-I-N-A, Hinayana. Theravada or Hinayana Buddhism, both terms are used. And in those early kinds or brands of Buddhism that today are practiced, in, especially in Laos and Cambodia, very, very predominant. They have no distinct God belief. Now, in the countryside, there is more of a polytheistic a creeping in, uh, even worshiping Buddha himself or other godlike or, you know, you know, avatar uh, type appearances of God in human form, um, deities. But the original Buddhism of the Buddha himself was distinctly atheistic. A third one would be the profoundly Upanishadic um, Hinduism, 
that is the Hinduism of the Upanishads, the earliest Upanishads had no God belief. It said that the universe is self-existent. It did not come into existence from the creation act. All of these views just begin with the universe just there. It's just there. There's no explanation of how it came into being, as if the universe is eternal. By the way, uh, Nick, do you think that sits well with modern science? Do you think modern si physics uh, says, oh, yeah, we're fine with the universe just being here forever and ever? No, not since 100 years ago. Not since 100 years ago. The expansion, the discovered expansion of the universe rules that out. <laughs> and that's where we can see, I mean, it's ruling out all of these Eastern religions. I mean, if you go with science, you can just cross those out. Because the, just the brute fact of the universe existing by itself with no creator, you can't, that's not tenable anymore. It is not even conceivable. It's not possible at all. So we have early Hinduism, Upanishad, Upanishadic Hinduism, early Buddhism, both of those are still practiced, Jainism, okay, are we on a roll? Okay? Yeah. Okay. Then we have Taoism, that's T-A-O. You know, Taoism, but they I think they soften it to a D sound. Taoism, which is still practiced in China. Uh, Lao Tzu uh, wrote, a, wrote a very interesting 35, 40-page poem called La, the Lao Tzu. Uh, the poem takes his name. And so Taoism is a laissez-faire, let, let nature take its course, don't interfere, you know, go with the flow, has their philosophy, uh, but it is a distinctly atheistic, world religion. There is no God concept whatsoever. That's Taoism. And of course, uh, if you want to follow that, you're, there's plenty written on the, the metaphysics, you know, the belief about prime reality. And, and again, they don't even address the issue of the existence of the universe. And last but not least, Confucianism. Now, Confucianism, you might describe as more agnostic. It's more polite. Confucius, if you ask him, does God exist? He wouldn't say, oh, I reject the existence of God. He would say, you're dealing with matters that are above my pay grade. <laughs> I think I heard uh, Obama say something like that when he was asked uh, a question about abortion. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I think Rick Warren had him uh, in front of a huge audience at his church, and it was televised nationally. He didn't want to answer that. Anyway, I don't want to get political. <laughs> but I think that Confucianism would say, you know, you're asking matters that is not polite to discuss in public uh, forums. So what we're saying then is that there, is, there are issues, there are very important issues that uh, the Confucius, who had very great insight into morality, he would not want to deal with those issues that, are, that he said, I just can't figure out. So, but there is no teaching on God. There's brilliant. I will just say this. I think that common grace, a true doctrine in our faith, in our Christian faith, common grace allowed Confucius to be the most perceptive uh, writer on, on ethical issues of all kinds outside of the Bible. It almost is like reading the book of Proverbs. So to read Confucius, the Analects of Confucius is a joy. But he was checking it out, as it were. He was, uh, his mind just said, I'm checking out. I'm not going to even deal with. I'm going to separate myself from the God question. So that's the fifth agnostic or atheist world religion, Confucianism. But there is truth that has come like a tsunami from the Bible. There are 
uh, thousands of ways that you can know that God exists. Not only that he exists, that he loves you, he has a plan for your life. Christ came and died for you to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. He rose again from the dead, and he's alive today, and he offers you and me eternal life. And all you have to do to receive that is to say, I believe, I trust in Christ as the one who died for me and rose again. If you just received that gift, let us know. Write us at apologetics, information at apologetics.org. See you back here next week at The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door. Next door.